a man and his brother walk into a bar. The man had been an alcoholic for quite some time, but he'd been sober for over a year, and now he wanted to show his brother what he had learned in the hopes that he wouldn't repeat the same mistakes. So he goes in, and he sits at the counter with his brother. He pulls out a case from his shirt pocket, sets it on the counter, and then he asks the bartender for a glass of water and a glass of alcohol. And then he takes out that case, and he pulls two worms from it, He places one worm in the glass filled with water, one worm in the glass filled with alcohol. And after a few minutes, the worm in the glass of water is still squirming around while the worm in the glass of alcohol has died. And the man looks at his brother and he says, did you see that? His brother says, yes. And the man said, do you get the point? And the the boy said, yes, I, I do. And the man said, well, just to be clear, what is the point? And the man says, well, I think it's pretty clear that if you drink a lot of alcohol, you won't have worms. (laughs) Obviously, the boy missed the point. Do we get it when it comes to this time of year? Do, Do we miss the point? Do we understand what it means that God became a human and came and dwelled among us? Do we understand or are we missing the point? We talked about last week missing the headline. We can't afford to miss the point here when it comes to what it means for Emmanuel, God, to be with us. Go back to the birth account of Jesus, not in the book of Matthew, not in Luke, but in John. You think, well, there's not a birth account of Jesus in John. Sure there is. He just doesn't take Jesus back to a manger in Bethlehem, but rather he takes us back to the very beginning with Jesus. And notice what is written in John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. A man came, one sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. Now, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not even know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not accept him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and called out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who is coming after me has proved to be my superior because he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son, who is in the arms of the Father, he has explained him. So John opens up by telling us that Jesus is eternal. He was there at the beginning. He had no beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
Now, anyone with even a cursory knowledge of the Bible knows that these words are an echo of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, right? Whatever else John is going to tell us, he wants us to know that this is a continuation of the story. This is a book about the Creator getting involved with the creation that He loves. This is the climax of the entire redemption story. The highlight of Genesis 1 is the creation of humans in God's image. The highlight of John 1 is that God became human. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. However, Jesus wasn't born. Yeah, you can write that down. Jesus wasn't born. And we need to understand that. That's not the headline. The headline is not that Jesus was born. You know, Isaiah makes reference to this, and we talked about it last week. The headline, some 700 years prior, was, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Did you catch that? A son will be given to us. The child was born, but the son is given. And that's an important point to keep in mind here. The son existed before the child was born. The virgin gave birth to a child, but the child the virgin gave birth to existed before the virgin ever got pregnant. That's an important point to remember when it comes to understanding the story. The son was given, not born. It is true that God chose to come into this world through a virgin woman, be laid in a manger in Bethlehem. All that is true. However, that event, the birth, does not signify the beginning of Jesus. The creator chose to be created. But here's another important point to, to grasp. The manger held a whole lot more than just a baby. The manger held the peace with which Jesus would calm the storm. The manger held the power to turn five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 people. The manger held new eyes for the blind to see. The manger held new legs for the lame to walk. It held living water so that the Samaritan woman at the well wouldn't have to keep returning to that same well. It held the Beatitudes. It held the tears that Jesus shed for Jerusalem. It held Lazarus's new life. It held the cross. It held the empty tomb. The manger contained all of these things and more. The birth of Jesus is one of the two most significant events in the history of our world. The other being the resurrection, of course. Jesus' birth is the event up to which everything before it led and to which everything after it points. It shows that God is faithful, that he keeps his promises, that what God has said he will do. God promised to Abraham that he would be the father of nations, that all nations would be blessed through him, through this seed. And then came the seed, Jesus Christ, the descendant of Abraham, through whom all the nations of the earth are being blessed. You know, Israel waited. They waited and they waited for uh, a king over a spiritual kingdom, the, the long-awaited king in the line of David, who would come and rule over this, this eternal kingdom. Jesus is that long-awaited king. The Jews waited. They waited for the coming Messiah that meant everything to them. And certainly that Messiah means everything to us because the birth of Jesus is the birth of hope. 
Jesus' birth came with an announcement, and the announcement was God is faithful. He always keeps his promises. But not only is God faithful, God is not distant. God didn't design us and then sit back and spectate. He is not some aloof, faceless creator who just left us on our own to fend for ourselves. He came up and he took residence with us. He became one of us. He saw with our eyes. He listened with our ears. He felt things with our feelings. He hungered. He thirsted. He hurt. He got tired. He bled. He died. Kind of like, uh, let's say, the President of the United States decides that he wants to become a mouse because he loves mice. And he wants to get involved with mice. He wants to know how they live. And he, he wants to rescue them. And so he becomes a mouse. He leaves his, his high position of honor and respect from the White House. And he becomes a lowly mouse. And he tries to warn all the mice about, you know, in how all the kitchens of the world, there's these mouse traps. And, and you know, you need to avoid the smelly cheese that's so uh, tempting. He tries to save them by becoming one of them. And maybe that's not the best analogy, but I think you know where I'm coming from. Jesus did that. He left the lofty to be with the lowly. He left a position of honor. He left the comforts of heaven to become one of us so he could save us. Why would he do that? Very simple. Because he loves us. God became one of us. And God becoming a man and dwelling among us has ramifications far greater than can be captured by our common view of Christmas. One of the members of the Godhead emptied himself, as Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. You think about what that means. Jesus surrendered his deity. He emptied himself. He put on flesh and he gave up his omnipresence. He, off, he also gave up his omnipotence while in the flesh. He got tired, he got hungry, he got thirsty, he cried, he hurt. And Paul says that not only did he empty himself, he took on the form of a servant. Jesus left the lofty to do the lowly. He got dirty as he washed people's feet. And we are to be no different. To be a disciple means that you have to get dirty. Listen, Mary had the little lamb, and that lamb would die for her sins and the sins of the entire world in that manger on that fateful day in Bethlehem, lay not just a baby, but the God of heaven who came to this earth to dwell with the very people that he created. What often gets lost this time of year is that not only was the baby born, the baby was born to die. From the very beginning, his fate was sealed. A problem that was so complex and that we were utterly incapable of solving ourselves is what Jesus came to fix. That problem, of course, is sin. God finally decided, you know what, I'll just come down there and fix it myself. Let's look at it this way. Let's say that we all gathered up and went to California and tried to swim to Hawaii. The goal was we were all going to start in California and swim to Hawaii. You know what? I'm a decent swimmer. You may be a better swimmer than I am. You might can swim way faster than I can. And you might be able to swim a further distance than me, but you're not making it to Hawaii, so it doesn't matter. We're all going to end up in the same boat eventually anyway. I don't care how good a swimmer you are. You're not swimming from California to Hawaii. Neither am I. So it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter if you're better than me. You're not making it either. Let's say we all got a handful of rocks 
and the competition was to see who can throw a rock and hit the North Pole from here. You might have a stronger arm than I do. You might be able to throw further than I can. doesn't matter. You're not hitting the North Pole, and neither am I. At the end of the day, we're all in the same boat. Your pile of sins may be higher than mine. My list of transgressions may be longer than yours. doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. Without a rescuer, we're all in the same position. None of us are getting out of here alive, and all of us are going to spend eternity somewhere. Without a rescuer, without a deliverer, we're nothing, and we have no hope. We need, we need a holy God, a holy Savior to connect us, an unholy people to a holy Lord. The tor- story is told of a, of a son that wanted to get his dad the perfect Christmas gift. And he searched and searched, and finally he came across an ad on the internet for a parakeet that could speak five languages and that could sing the Yellow Rose of Texas while standing on one leg. And he thought, perfect. So he had it shipped to his father, and after about three days, he called his dad, and he said, hey, did you get my gift? And his dad said, yes, I did. And the son said, how did you like it? And he said, it was delicious. (laughs) Obviously, obviously the dad missed the point of the gift. It wasn't to eat. And do we miss the point? Do we totally understand what it means? Emmanuel, God with us, the long-awaited Messiah coming to rescue us from sin and death, just as the law and the prophets had foretold. You think about this. If our greatest need were were financial, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need was education, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need was, was technology, Something like that. God might have sent a scientist. If our greatest need were pleasure, then God may have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was hope over sin and death. We needed a cure, so God sent us a Savior. Mary had the little lamb so that you and I could have the biggest hope. You know, in department stores all over America this time of year, there are displays of Christmas trees flocked with snow, Ornaments hanging from their their limbs, lights wrapped around them. Underneath, there's a skirt and some presents, some some presents wrapped in beautiful bows and and, and beautiful uh, wrapping paper. And, And that scene mirrors what most of you have in your home as well. Most of you, if not all of you, have the same scene in your home. You have a Christmas tree that's got ornaments and and, and lights and, and, and a skirt at the bottom of the tree and maybe some presents. But you know what the one difference is between the tree and all the decorations at, say, Target or Dillard's and the one in your home? You know what the major difference is? Those presents under the tree at Target or Dillard's, there's nothing in those boxes. They're empty. They're wrapped real pretty and nice and neat so that they look attractive. By all appearances, they're beautiful, but there's nothing in those boxes. It's your house that's different. There's gifts under the tree that have meaning and value. And I wonder sometimes if our world doesn't doesn't miss the point. If maybe in all our commercialization, in all our focusing on other things like reindeer and Santa Claus and all that, which is not not terrible, I'm I'm not diminishing that, but I wonder if sometimes the story loses its value. If maybe this time of year is is not as meaningful, maybe void of meaning perhaps. As I said last week, my 
my view of holidays in relation to the church is that we need to redeem them. Some of you may have grown up in a Jesus-free church in that on the day closest to Christmas, you couldn't talk about Jesus. You know, we have these quote-unquote carols that we sing. Maybe you grew up in a church that, you know, that you had those songs in your songbook, but they never got sung. You know, because like Tim said in his class, they're weird to sing in July, but uh, you don't sing them on Christmas or close to Christmas because it gives the impression that you believe Jesus was born on December the 25th, and so they're never sung, even though they're biblical, even though they could be sung any time of the year. I don't want this to be a Jesus-free church, not on the day closest to Christmas or any time. I believe it's wrong to not talk about Jesus, to purposely avoid talking about Jesus. When the world around us is at least thinking about Jesus a little bit, I want them to think more about Jesus. I want them to know more about him. I want to promote Jesus at a time when everyone else seems to be commercializing him. I'm not going to spend my time arguing about whether he was born on December 25th or not. I want to spend my time helping people understand why he was born in the first place. I want to help people unwrap this beautiful gift, this amazing gift, so that they can truly see what the incarnation is all about. And I don't want to diminish your upbringing. Not at all. I'm not saying your parents did wrong by not allowing you to sing those songs or, or avoiding kind of the mention of Jesus on the Sunday closest to Christmas. But I, I do think there's another approach here. Barry, you said it to me after church last week. As a former atheist, becoming a child of God, this time of year takes on a whole new meaning, right? And as I've said before, Jesus isn't the reason for the season. He's the reason for everything. Everything you are, everything you do. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 15. It says, When the angels had departed from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It wasn't enough for the shepherds to merely hear that Jesus was born. It wasn't like they heard the news and said, Okay, that's great. No, they had to go see it for themselves. They had to go be a part of it. They wanted to experience. This was a calling, an announcement. The shepherds wanted to be a part of what had taken place. For them, it was more than an event. It was an experience. And that is what it should be for us as well. You see, without him, not only would Christmas have no meaning, life would have no meaning. So we have to see the birth of Christ as more than an event. Like the shepherds, we have to go to him. We have to experience him. Let me ask you, what's your Christmas story? Now, I'm not asking you what's your Christmas tradition, whether you open presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. What's your Christmas story? Because I think one of the things that gets lost so often at Christmas time, when we read about the accounts of Jesus' birth, what gets lost so often is that you're a part of that story. You realize that, don't you? You are a part of the story. I think we can name the characters, right? There's Mary, there's Joseph, there's the innkeeper, there's the wise men. But when you rehearse the story, when you think about the story, when you name the characters, do you put yourself there? Because you should. Remember what John said. We read it a moment ago. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. That's us. That's you, that's me, that's anyone who believes in him. Anyone at all, family name, ethnicity, gender, socioeconomic status, none of that matters. 
This great drama of a God who reveals his glory through the Son is a play in search of actors, and there's a part for everyone, you and I included. You see, while this passage is often associated with Christmas and the advent of Christ, it's so much more than that. So much more than that. This isn't just about the birth of Jesus. This is about the full meaning and magnitude of everything he was, everything he is, everything that he will do. And guess what? You're at the center of this story. Now, before you get the big head, let me just say, you're not the star of the show. God is. Jesus is. But you play an integral part because this was for you. You're the centerpiece. You play an integral part because God did this for you. Again, you're not the star of the show, but you do play a pivotal role. God featured you from the very beginning. Go back, Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Why? Why would God create this life form that he called human? And the answer is very simple, to love, to have someone to love. God wanted a relationship with mankind and that's exactly what he got, at least in the beginning, right? At least in the beginning, but there was another reason that God made mankind, something that we've talked a lot about this year, and that is he created us to be image bearers. The Greek calls it akons. We were created to be akons. We were created to be a visual representation and manifestation of the one who designed us, the one who made us. We were to be a visible representation and manifestation of the creator to the world around us. You know, in 2012, cyclist Lance Armstrong lost seven of his 10 sponsorships. In one day, he lost over $150 million. And the reason why is because it was found that he was guilty of using uh, an illegal substance. Not only that, he lied about it. He threatened his team members if they said anything. He was banned for life from cycling, so the former seven-time champion of the Tour de France was suddenly out of cycling, losing millions of dollars because people like Nike and Oakley didn't want to associate with a cheater. They felt it would hurt their bottom line. If people saw Nike supporting someone who was convicted of these crimes, well, it, it wouldn't look good on them. We were made to represent our creator. God said, let us make man to look like us. From the very beginning, the goal was for man to be a mirror. We were made to be a visual representation and manifestation of the one who made us. Paul said it very well, 1 Corinthians 15, just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we also bear the image of the heavenly. However, though we were made to be a mirror, Man messed it up so that this mirror now looks like one of those carnival mirrors. You ever seen those? When we lived in Missouri, we lived close to Branson, and Ripley's, believe it or not, in Branson, they had this room full of mirrors, and you looked all distorted and funny. 
That's what we did. That's what sin did. That's what man did when he fell. He caused that image to be distorted. Now we look like a bunch of carnival mirrors, right? But Jesus came to clear up the image. He came to clear up the distortion. He came to make the image clear. He came to be a visual representation and manifestation of the unseen God. And he came to show us what we're supposed to look like. He's the standard. He came to clear up that image. God would have been justified in pulling his sponsorship. God would have been justified saying, yeah, look, you guys have done too much wrong and caused me too much trouble. I'm going to distance myself from you. He would have been totally and completely justified to pull his sponsorship and say, I don't want anything to do with you people. You're not a good representation of me. It affects my bottom line. But he didn't. Instead, he found a way to bring us closer. He found a way to redeem what we have restored, uh, distorted. God became like us to restore us to the image for which we were created and to insert us into the story that he has written story is told of a, a great king who was very popular among the people, but he wanted to go and live among his people. He wanted to see how they lived, and so this king took off the crown, he removed his robe, he put on the clothes of a beggar, and he went to the home of this man who was very lowly. He lived in a cellar, he ate coarse food, he had one change of clothes, and, and it was tattered and torn. He went and he stayed with him for some time and he encouraged the man. He spoke encouraging words to him and tried to lift him up. And then he left. And sometime later he came back. But this time the king had on his crown, his robe. He had his royal officials with him. And he knocked on the door and the poor beggar invited him in. And they sat and spoke to one another. And the, the king fully expected the poor man to ask him for something. Money, food, something. The king was prepared to give it, but the man didn't ask for anything. Instead, here's what the man said. He said, excuse me, he said, you left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark and dreary place. You ate the coarse food that I ate. You brought gladness to my heart. To others, you have given rich gifts. But to me, you've given yourself. That's it. That's our story. God has blessed us in unbelievable ways, but the most important thing he's done for us is he's given himself. That's our story. He became one of us in order to rescue us. That's the headline in big, bold letters. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the whole point of the story. Folks, it's not about presence. It's about presence. Are you in his presence? You've heard me say it before. It's not my quote. It's a quote by A.W. Tozer. Every man is as close to God as he wants to be. You say, well, I just want to be closer to God. No, you don't. No, you don't. You're as close to God as you want to be right now. How close to God do you want to be? And if you're not close enough, if you're not as close as you want to be, change that this morning. Make sure that you're in his presence. And let us pray with you. Let us encourage you if we can study the Bible with you. If you're ready to take that next step in faith, put on Christ in baptism, begin a daily walk with God. Whatever it needs to be for you to be in his presence and to be as close to him as you can possibly be, take care of that this morning. Don't miss the headline. 
Be a part of the story. Come as we stand and as we sing.